Welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm not horribly ill this week, and I have done some actual real good research for what I'm going to be talking about today. So I hope it's not going to be as much of a disaster as um, last week. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually quite excited. Um, so what I wanted to talk about um, in this podcast is the Slavic Pantheon, or Slavic gods in general. And um, without going too much into what paganism actually is to me personally, I feel like it's really something that I've always been around in one way or another. And I feel like it's always influenced me in some sort of a way ever since I was a small, small child. Um, but it's mostly been very Celtic-centred kind of paganism, I think. Um, I mean, I've seen, you know, especially when I was getting older and I've been kind of getting into this sort of stuff uh, more consciously or more research-based, I guess. You know, like, I've seen uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, and um, I, I liked finding out about it, but I think more kind of personally, Celtic mythology has is something that's been like influencing me from way back as well, mostly because I think that's kind of um, really what is around. But um, yeah, and especially especially lately, I think like I've been in an environment where that's been really an influence on me and where it's been something that I was able to personally develop. But um, somehow one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, also being Polish, uh, the Slavic paganism has become something that I've been really researching extensively lately. And I think it started off because um, I was really interested in sort of daily life of people from from Slavic countries, especially from Poland, specifically from Poland, uh, back when paganism was like a normal thing, um, you know, pre-Christianity. Because even once Christianity kind of got the whole of Poland, it was still very much um, involved in many pagan traditions. And even now, even so, like now, there are so many pagan traditions embedded in the culture and in the religion. Um, so, you know, it's pretty much, there's a lot of traditions still that survived. But I was very interested in life sort of pre all that when Christianity hasn't gotten there yet and when's, when it's been, you know, when the gods, different gods were very much commonplace thing to worship. And um, what I found interesting was that if you go to research um, Celtic lifestyle in that way, there is actually a lot of information on the topic. But... Uh, when you go to research Slavic way of life at that time, on the other hand, looking through both English and Polish sources, there is actually so little information to a point where you have to kind of research mythology and sort of local traditions and all that and kind of put it together yourself. Um, so compared to that, there is like really little. And I think also... Uh, well, one of the reasons why that is, um, there's a few reasons for that. One of them is that 
for one, from what I've heard, especially around the region of Poland, uh, the different pagan traditions were very much community-based and there wasn't so much movement across the whole country. So there wasn't so much like unity in a faith in country as a whole. There were certain gods, but a lot of... Um, this is also the reason why, is this, why there's so much disparity in beliefs across regions because um, even though there were certain gods and certain established traditions across like whole regions because it was so community-based there there is a lot of little differences between different places um, which kind of causes a lot of you know even if you find out things from different regions there's a lot of differences and you kind of have to put it all together um, another thing is obviously uh, when Christianity came a lot of um, things that were written down and a lot of artifacts were completely destroyed. Loads of temples were completely destroyed. Um, and that was like a really big thing that influenced that, of course. And another thing that I heard also, which uh, I'm not really surprised about, is that the climate um, of Poland uh, is not very good for pre for preserving things because we get very hot summers, very cold winters, especially in the past. Now the climate is changing visibly quite a lot, but you know, before um, you had really harsh winters and even now you get like minus 15, minus 20 degrees Celsius um, and like very wet seasons in between. And even just archeologically wise, um, you know, even if you completely don't relate it to paganism and finding that exact info even if you're looking for whatever else generally um archaeologically it's not easy to find preserved things um and i heard from i was talking about this actually to a girl who um runs a blog about archaeology and kind of old traditions from poland and um she was telling me um or maybe she wrote it down somewhere but i remember one thing that she said that um really kind of surprised me was that there isn't one entire um costume preserved in like polish tradition so there's we've got a quite you know good idea on traditional costumes and there's bits and pieces here and there but supposedly there isn't like one whole costume preserved and a lot of the time we kind of have to fill in the gaps and the holes. Um, so essentially what I did is I researched a lot about gods and kind of tried to put together a picture. Um, because just as with any tradition that worships more than one god, uh, it tends to get quite complicated. Um, the boundaries between the gods aren't so clear-cut and also you can have two gods being ruling over the same thing and uh, the same god being called different things and it's kind of, you know, it's it's to whoever's interested and people researching this kind of stuff, it's, it's their job and it's our job to kind of put it all together and try and work out as, be as, as best as we can the general picture. So I did quite a lot of reading and I'm hoping I sort of was able to um, put it together in a more comprehensive way. Now the gods I'm going to be talking about are kind of very basic and also very much centered around Poland because that's what I'm personally interested in. Um, some of some of these like go across cultures and I'm not specifically just look to one region because obviously also way back it wasn't 
uh, you know, the, the boundaries between countries weren't the same or weren't so clear cut, like parts of Germany and parts of um, Poland on the west side, for example, were one region with one set of people. Um, so it's it's not so clear cut, and some of these will bleed into each other. Um, but I tried to center myself around Poland, and also I looked through Polish sources. And uh, what I found is that, uh, well, this my first reaction was that sort of the Polish myth and the Slavic myth is very similar to Norse tradition, which then I also found out it's not just that, it's very much linked to a lot of pagan traditions, which is also another thing that's very interesting that I'm not going to talk about now. But um, essentially, uh, the Slavs believed that the world that we live in is, and the heavens are sort of a massive tree, tree of life, if you want to call it that, that, you know, spread its, um, what do you call those things? Twigs, the big twigs, the branches. It spreads its branches up into the sky, um, and the roots were considered to be the underworld. And so the god of the heavens that's symbolized by a hawk sitting on the tallest branch, uh, into the, going into the heavens, is called Perun, or I believe uh, in Polish uh, some people would call him Piorun, as his name I like derives from, or maybe the word derives from the name of the god, but it means, Piorun essentially in Polish means a thunderbolt, and he was the god of the heaven and god of uh, thunder, and he is considered to be the highest god, essentially, the god of them all also. And he is symbolized by the hawk on the tallest branch. He is also a god of war and is associated with fire and the oak, because the oak is considered to be the holy tree uh, in more than one tradition, but specifically for this uh, in Slavic tradition. And there is a myth um, surrounding the whole tree that, you know, the roots are the underworld, and Veles is the god of the underworld, and he takes the form of a massive serpent weaving himself around the roots. And uh, the myth is that, you know, sometimes he climbs up the tree to go into the heavens, into Perun's realm, or he goes into the world and disturbs the equilibrium. Uh, to which Perrin responds, and he finds him with his thunderbolts, whilst Veles is shape-shifting into different objects and hiding behind them, and then Perun tries to strike him in order to bring him down, eventually uh, defeating him, uh, which results in rain, and restoring balance to the world. And, you know, he doesn't die forever, he goes back to the underworld, but he is reborn every year, and this is the sort of... Uh, divine fight that happens um, every year. And there is, I think after Christianization, the Christians kind of thought Perun to be, you know, the god and Veles to be the devil. They kind of put that duality between them in order to assimilate Christianity into paganism. But actually, originally, you know, Veles isn't seen as a sort of evil god. Um, he's the god of the underworld, but he's also the god of the earth, 
water, forest, harvest, cattle, magic, and music. Um, he is seen as somewhat a trickster god, um, kind of like Loki in uh, Norse mythology. I, I hope it's Norse. Um, but Loki. Everybody knows Loki. Um, but the underworld is actually, you know, first of all, he's obviously a god of many things that are also very important to people. But um, the underworld itself is also described as a very nice place that's always green and wet and, and it's kind of like the eternal spring. And the spirits that come into the underworld take care of these cattle. Um, so, or, you know, originally the there is sort of the fight between the two, but beyond, you know, there isn't the duality of good and evil, since Velas also would be revered and praised to and offerings would be made to him. Um, he was the patron of uh, musicians and, uh, you know, people uh, would pray to him in order to ensure prosperity, especially with cattle and livelihood and that sort of thing. Now, the interesting thing with Perun is, is that um, in a little northern town in Germany, around the border between Germany and Poland, where the Baltic Sea is, um, there is a specific sort of cult of a god called Świętowit, which is, who is actually um, thought to be a version of Perun. Uh, I think he is also in that specific region considered to be the god of divination and white horses and uh, dices, dice, not dices, <laughs> dice, are used, um, were used for divination in order to see what the future of the tribe would be like and such. Um, but looking at the two, like it is more or less believed that he is just basically a version of Perun. And another disparity that I found is that on a Polish site, and this is specifically uh, Polish mythology, like I haven't found this even in Wiki even, this was on a Polish site dedicated to Polish paganism. Um, but I haven't found any like English sources on this. But there is a goal called Yesh, who is also uh, very much considered to be the highest god. And some people say that um, he is either the father of Perun or that the two are kind of one and the same because he's also considered to be god of the sky. Um, and I believe this might specifically have to do with the Polish um, etymology and translation and such. But essentially, um, Perun is the artifacts to do with him and his worship are kind of found all over Slavic countries and is the most popular, most often found. Um, so we have Perun and we have Veles, who is the god of the underworld, who he fights with every year. Now, uh, Perun had a son and a son called was called uh, Yariwo. Now, when he was young, the son was actually stolen by Veles into the underworld. And he was raised by him. Uh, he, he was Veles's adoptive son. And Yariwo is the god of vegetation, spring and forests. And it is thought that every spring, around February, he comes back from the underworld and with him, he brings spring. So he's kind of depicted as this, you know, blonde, young god of 
you know, male fertility in spring. Um, and the myth with him is that Perun also had a daughter called Majanna, which I will also talk about in a bit, in more detail. Um, but when Yariwa first comes with spring and brings spring to the land with him, uh, Majanna is the first to see his coming. And they, they're, they're both actually twins. They're both Perun's uh, daughter and son. And they they called each other throughout spring and they fall in love and eventually they marry each other. Um, and because Yariwa is Veles's adoptive son and he kind of shows the underworld and, you know, Veles's side, whereas Majanna was still raised by Perun, their marriage, which is celebrated at summer solstice, I believe, um, their marriage symbolizes the kind of short-lived union between the two worlds and also between sort of our world and the world of spirits and just unity in general. Um, however, as, you, as per usual, with uh, the Slavic myths, especially when it comes to the changing of the seasons and the union between the two, uh, it's very cyclical. And um, supposedly Yeruwa was unfaithful, uh, which caused Perun or something, uh, Majana's brothers, to kill Yeruwa around winter time, uh, which causes the... You know, is the end of spring, is the end of the good season and such. Um, actually, I think it's possible that... I can't remember now, and I'm sorry about that, because I did make close of notes on this, but um, it could be that his death is actually related to Harvest Festival. And his death is actually thought to be a sacrifice, and Majanna uses his body parts to build a house. Uh, but then, supposedly, she kind of turns into an old, miserable hag during winter, uh, which I'm not sure is true. That's just kind of one source that I saw on that. Um, and I'm also not 100% sure on Yarrow being unfaithful, but there is definitely the myth of Yarrow dying. Um, and so, when spring comes, the myth starts again and again. And there is also... Uh, yeah, and I also should add that he is sometimes, um, Yariwa is sometimes thought to be a sort of young incarnation of Perun, which is also a very, like, prevalent theme of, you know, there being incarnations of gods and different faces of gods. But even so, he's also very much his own deity. And he is, um, he has connection to horses, a wreath around his head. He usually is depicted um holding like like grains of rye in his one hand like the sort of rye grass um such as at harvest and supposedly in some versions he also holds um a head of an old person in one of his other hands which is supposed to kind of symbolize the killing of the old yarewa and the coming of the young one so that's him, and there is a there is an interesting connection to him with another god, but I will talk about this in a bit because to fully understand that connection, I first have to talk about the female goddesses. So there are three goddesses: Lela, Giovanna, and Majanna, which 
from what I've read, is I think safe to assume that that they are all um, faces of the same goddess. There's different. There's three different versions of the same goddess and three different faces of her. I mean, some say that Lela is the mother, and Giovanna and Marjanna are either two of her daughters or one daughter with two different versions. Um, but either way, they are all very much connected. And so Lela, who is kind of shown to be the, like, prime, I suppose, version of her, um, she's the goddess of love and fertility, she looks after children and marriages, she's kind of like the... Um, some call her the Polish Venus, but she's essentially, you know, that very much um, feminine, strong female uh, character. And she's also one of the most important deities. And what I found really annoying is that on Wikipedia, when you look at Slavic gods, she's actually considered to be one of the lesser deities, which is very much not true. She's um, one of the most important. And I think her with uh, Perun and another god but again this changes in different cultures but she's kind of seen as kind of the trinity she's one of the trinity of gods but which gods they are um changed kind of across time and across different regions as well but she's very important and one thing to mention um is that when looking at polish goddesses you will see one goddess called Mokosz, and she is the goddess of women's destiny and women's activities. So she's like the patron of women. Um, and she has a myth about being both um, either or both in different versions, Perun and Veles's. Um, sorry, um, of um, Perun and Veles being her consorts, and in one version, um, she is thought to fight with Perun on the battlefield alongside him and she is supposedly the mother of Yarewo and Majanna. Now Mokosh is also very much um, from the evidence that we have she was very much worshipped in large part of Poland she was worshipped very largely and there are statues of her um, and places of worship but I think I'm not sure i'm not 100 percent sure but i think lela and mokosh might be the same goddess or at least they might be somehow related they might be different goddesses but you know from what i've read since lela is this very kind of important goddess and there is a myth about her being mother of also the divine sons lel and polel which i don't actually have much information on in this podcast because there's other gods to kind of talk about but because she's seen kind of as having these divine children also, which is very similar to Mokosh, I thought it might be very possible that the two are one and the same, uh, which I'm not sure about. But we have Lela, the image of, you know, the patron of women also, the very sort of feminine female image. And her daughter, in some belief, or another face of her, is Giovanna. Now, Giovanna is the goddess of forests, wildlife, and hunt. And she's revered by young girls and married women. Um, and what I found is that she she is revered mostly um, during a day called Noc Świętojańska, which is still something that 
uh, in Poland is kind of known as like a day, like that's a thing. And people sometimes do things on that day and it's celebrated. Uh, prob- I suppose some regions will probably tell a myth of her as kind of like a story. Uh, they probably wouldn't worship her because now it's, you know, a very Catholic country. But the tradition is kind of still there. Um, and she looks after wild animals. So she's very much connected to the forest and greenery and all that sort of thing. Um, and so the third face of the goddess is Majanna, uh, Yairo's sister and wife. And Majanna is the goddess of death, rebirth, winter, war, divination, and supposedly also sleep. Now, she is daughter of Perun. And what is really interesting is she is the one name that I was able to recognize because in Poland, we still very much have the tradition centered around Majanna, where um, the tradition is that you make a sort of puppet on a stick which is the Majanna, and you decorate her, and then in a procession, uh, you will go with one or many around, and then you are supposed to drown her in a moving body of water, such as like a river or a stream, in order to sort of kill her and bring a spring to come. So you do this kind of at the end of winter. And this is still very much a thing that's um, being done, and talked about like I remember being in preschool or kindergarten or whatever you want to use but you know as a young child it was like a thing that we did in preschool we made our own uh, majanas we decorated them and then we went around to where a little stream was and we didn't actually throw her in the stream because that's bad for the environment kids and I'm pretty sure the stream was so small that if we all threw our puppets in there it would have clogged up um, but it was very much a thing that did. So the tradition around Majanna is very much alive, even if she isn't uh, worshipped widely as such. And so also some people think that when you go on a procession with Majanna and drown her and throw her, um, Jevanna, the goddess that's um, the patron of forests and wild animals and such, she is the one that comes back with the procession instead of Majanna. Now, so the connection, so if we go by the myth that, well, not the myth, but if we go by the version that Lila, Jivana and Majanna are all, are all um, the same goddess, but different versions of her. Now, there is also, I saw also, this isn't a very kind of like a popular idea. This was only on a few websites and a few websites mention him, but there is a forest god called Leleny. And the word Yelen, so with the J at the beginning rather than an L, uh, means deer in Polish. And Lelen is thought to be a deer god who guards forests and who is a connection between the underworld and the world of the living. He is thought to bring people towards the tree of life and he supposedly guides people when they die to, uh, to the underworld. Um, and so his name, Leleng, is thought to the Lele, is supposed to have the connection to the goddess Lela. So the two of them seem to be connected in some way, and uh, Lela is also thought to be the tree of life, the thing that Leleng brings you towards. And with this, this connection, I found that, you know, I think it's possible that Leleng and Yariwo are the same god, and, you know, Lela 
is the goddess or Majanna is the version of the goddess that he's with. Um, which makes sense to me. There might be two different gods, but um, also considering that Yariwo is very much connected with horses and sort of horses and deer, there's a similarity there. They're not the same animal, but um, in the mythology, there seems to be um, a similarity between the two, the kind of connection. And in some depictions, I think either Lela or Jivanna, the forest goddess, um, she's seen holding horns of a deer. So there's definitely that connection, and I think it's possible that uh, Lelen and Yariwo are essentially the same god. Um, so, now we get to the slightly complicated, interesting part. Um, so there are three gods, Svarug, Svarožet, and Dajbug. Now, Svarug is seen as he is a solar deity, he is a deity of the fire, um, and also blacksmithing, and he's been likened, likened to um, the god Hephaestus. And the reason why it gets interesting is because sometimes Svarojet and Dajbog are seen as his sons, sometimes they are seen as uh, him, but different versions of the same god. Uh, or possibly the only difference is the name across different regions. Sometimes uh, Svarojet or Dajbug are seen as his one son, but having two different versions. Uh, and because of that, Svarojet and Dajbug are also seen as deities of fire. But in some versions, uh, people say that Dajbug um, is the god of the sun, or fire in the sky, whereas Svarojet is the god of fire on earth, um, the god of the god of fire that's in the house, and also fire used for offerings. But uh, essentially, what's been circling around is that they are connected to fire. They are all in some way connected to the sky and the sun, and they're all somewhat solid deities. And it's very possible that the three of them are faces of the same god. Now, the last one, although not the least, um, the goddesses I wanted to talk about are Trizoja, or Three Zojas. Now, there is loads of more goddesses, but um, I just picked them also to talk about, and there is an interesting connection between them and other traditions. So essentially, the Trizoja are the three stars in the sky, the morning, the noon, and the evening stars, and they control the fate, um, they control fate, they control uh, children's health, health of a child, and love. Um, maybe, I'm not sure so much about control, but, you know, they kind of look after the fate in terms of these things. There are essentially goddesses of fate. Uh, which is obviously also the connection to, like, the Three Sisters, I think, in Greek mythology, I believe, um, who are supposed to be spinning fate. And there is also the connection to the Celtic um, sisters, although there's two of them in the Celtic mythology. And actually, in quite a few mythologies, there seem to be two sisters. And if you read the article, if you read the articles on them in English, there seem to be two sisters also, the morning and the evening star. And uh, they have a connection to Perun in a sense that in the 
in the morning, the morning star, uh, she opens the gates for the sun to circle around the earth, um, or the earth circle around the sun, whatever, across, it goes across the sky, right? <laughs> and so, which makes me think she also has um, the connection to Svarog. Um, and then the evening star closes the gates at the end of the day, or at night. Um, they are thought to also guard the uh, hound. I'm not sure if it's a hellhound. It's a hound in the sky in one of the constellations. And I think the morning star is also thought to be Perun's wife. Uh, go to battle with him. Um, which, that's also what I said about Lila. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I confused the two. I'm, but I'm pretty sure um, they might share that attribute. Or, well... Lila Ivo is definitely cons um, connected to Perun also, and supposedly one of the Zorjas, one of the stars, is also connected to Perun. Um, and that's the that's kind of like the most information I was able to found on them. But even so, there isn't really, you know, the actual, the very, the more detailed information about them is about the morning and the evening star, whereas there isn't really anything said about the noon sister um but supposedly also what was very popular in slavic um beliefs and among slavic people was to say good morning to the sun um you know kind of pray to the sun in the morning as it rose up and supposedly the prayer also went towards the morning star essentially it was a prayer towards the sun but um she was sort of the one receiving it. She was the one that was opening the gates. So that's the basic intro to the Slavic Pantheon. I mean, there's so much information about this in a sense that there are so many different versions of things and there are so many little tidbits that you kind of, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, you have to sit down and put it together. Um, but I, I will probably come back to it at some point um, with the smaller gods and also with demons because, well, sorry, excuse me, um, demons and spirits because what you'll find, for example, in the Celtic mythology is that uh, the different demons and the different fake creatures are very much seen as disliking humans and wanting to do them harm. Whereas in Slavic mythology, there are different kinds of spirits and they can differ by the element that they control that they're associated with like water or fire but also that they can be either neutral to humans they can be evil towards them or sometimes they can even help them um and i might do more research on that but this is also a thing that varies by region a lot um so it'll be a hell of a lot of work <laughs> and i'll probably come back to celtic mythology as well at some point because this is like all around me i'm very much influenced by it and very interested in it um but that's the basics and i hope that was somewhat comprehensive and made sense at least somewhat now um now for the news for the news i actually have quite uh, a lot of positive news um from poland uh so i'm gonna go into the negative first because I think uh, this week they're not as bad, and I want to finish off on a positive note. So, right, so in Poland, every year, there is something called Wielka Orkiestra Świątecznej Pomocy, 
which roughly translates to the Grand Orchestra of Holiday Help. And it's it's been going on for years, and it's people fundraising uh, for cause. They sort of help, like, sick children, people in need. And around, I think now, around in February, it was a few days ago, I think, uh, sometimes I think it happens in December, I'm not sure. But um, they collect money, and sometimes they have a concert, um, and, you know, they have a lot of organizations backing them up, essentially. And apparently, uh, this year, um, some LGBT-friendly organizations have been supporting uh, the orchestra, which, in turn, caused a lot of other companies to be like, we're not going to support you because you are being supported by LGBT organizations, which is stupid, by the way. Um... <laughs> But, I mean, they did it anyway, it happened anyway. But, like, I just don't... I just don't understand the mentality behind that. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're just hurting people in need. <laughs> but that's one thing that happened. Um, another one is... There is a little group called Queer UW. And I believe UW stands for Universi University of Warszawski, which is University of Warsaw. Uh, and I believe it's a student-run group kind of like a queer society, but I cannot confirm if it actually is University of Warsaw because on their page, um, they said nothing about it. I could not confirm it. I just did not see it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to assume that's it. Because they do say that they're a student group and UW would make sense. Uh, either way, they're a little group and they had their sort of... They are an LGBT-friendly group and I think they're there for allies too who want to support. And they had a little... A film showing, like a little mini cinema for the students, for the group, I assume. And supposedly someone threw a firecracker in there. I think that's what you call them. They're not like fireworks, they just kind of make noise, but they do explode and they can be dangerous. Uh, so someone on the screen kind of threw it in there. And the firecracker said, um, roughly, rough translation would be uh, homo prohibited or homo ing prohibited. In Polish, it's Sakaspela which is a pun, but it's fucking dumb. Um, so that happened, but luckily no one was hurt by it. Um, it's a shame, however, that like something like this would happen in a safe place. Um, but yeah, um, luckily no, no one got hurt, and it was just one, and it wasn't like a raid or anything. So that's the shitty thing that happened. Now, to get to the good news, there is a group for non-straight women led by psychologists affiliated with uh, Institut Positivnej Seksualności, which translates to Institute of Positive Sexuality. And, um, yeah, so I think they just have, like, a group exclusively for women who are not straight. And if you're living in Poland and you're listening to this and you want to know more about it, you can email them at info at positivnasexualnosy.pl uh, and I'm going to spell it out. It's I-N-F-O at P-O-Z-Y-T-Y-W-N-A-S-E-K-S-U-A-L-O-U-L Ah, fuck, I fucked it up, all right. P-O-Z-Y-T-Y-W-N-A-S-E-K-S-U-A-L-N-O sc.pl uh, and you can email them and find out more information um, and I'm guessing since since it's at their website you can also go to that website and find out more about them um, now also like a few podcasts back I was talking about how 
um, uh, Lambda in Warsaw was doing the questionnaire about um, living in Poland as an LGBT individual in the years 2015-2016. And I think now the the whole thing is finished and now they're trying to create a report based on the results. Uh, but they need money for it. I think they need 5,000 PLN, 5,000 Zwoltych, um in total, and they've raised 1,000 so far, so they still need 4,000, and if you go to lambdavarshava.org, uh, you can go and donate. That's L-A-M-B-D-A-W-A-R-S-Z-A-W-A.org. And you can go there and donate and kind of see what the whole thing is about, but it would be very helpful, very, very helpful for the, for the LGBT community in Poland if uh, that report went out because, as I said before, uh, at the time, like we don't, we don't have proper information. Like we need more information to kind of back ourselves up and also to see how LGBT people live. I mean, if you're LGBT and you live in Poland or you kind of at least basically socially aware, you know that the situation is shit. But when trying to convince governments and when fighting for your rights, you unfortunately need to prove it with numbers. So it's a very important thing. So go do that. Um, and last but not the least is Kampania Przeciw Homophobii, or the um, Campaign Against Homophobia in Poland, uh, has joined forces with Grinder in Poland in order to uh, kind of suggest a little questionnaire on the Grinder app for... Um, it's basically a questionnaire to ask people how much they know about HIV and AIDS. And I'm not sure if, like, at the end they kind of uh, give you more information or if it's just collecting information. But it's very good that something that exists, I think, and it's raising awareness. And, um, no, I've, I think it's just a very good idea. I'm happy that something like that is happening. And, again, I'm not affiliated with the campaign, but I am very happy that they very much go out of their own way to do these kind of things and to get involved, join forces with different people and organize things. Um, and also another thing which I wasn't originally going to mention because I'm not sure if it's still going on or not, but um, I know the organization Przekażmy sobie znak pokoju or Let's Give Each Other the Sign of Peace, which is essentially a collaboration of uh, LGBT individuals and Catholic Christians. Um, they have a poster that's up on an auction. It's the poster of the organization. And it's up on the auction. Uh, the last time I checked, I think the first time I looked, it was at 150s water. So it's going up quite expensive. But um, the point is that the auction is... Uh, I believe it's going to be put towards either the campaign to support it or um, towards another LGBT organization. I Again, I haven't checked, which is why I wasn't going to say it originally, but I, I remember I've seen that, and there is an auction going on, so if you look them up, or even find them through the Campaign Against Homophobia page on Facebook, you can go look at that and check it out. And It's just really nice. Um, so yes, I'm glad to be actually able to say some positive things so far. Um, and I'm very glad, again, that, you know, there are organizations working towards that and doing these kind of things. 
So yes, I hope if you've lasted this long listening to my voice and I have a good week and I'll see you next week. Hopefully it's gonna be uh, as good and as comprehensive as this one, if that's what this one was. But thank you and I'll see you next week.